We're reading from Psalm 84. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. And they became a sign. Nevertheless, the children of Korah did not die. Probably not the first passage of Scripture that you read this week in preparation. It's a somewhat obscure verse. Numbers 26, the last part of verse 10 and then to verse 11. The sons of Korah credited with writing some 10 or 11 psalms in the Scripture. One of which happens to be the one we're looking at this morning, Psalm 84. And you know, as I've, as I've spent some time looking and studying the text in Psalm 84... I spent a great deal of time looking at Numbers 16. You know, it's only by the grace of God that the sons of Korah survived the day chronicled in Numbers 16. And when I read Psalm 84, I read about someone with a heart for the Lord's house. I I read about someone who, who generally loves the Lord and longs to be in His presence. And contextually, when you trace the life and lineage of the sons of Korah, you begin to see God's hands of grace extended over this family line. The sons of Korah represent hope for future generations. These sons may not be as well known as their father, Korah. But their message is one of hope, one of courage, one of heeding the Lord's words, one of standing alone. The sons of Korah were spared certain death. In fact, before reading, it's important that we understand, at least in part, church number 16. Let's turn there for just a moment. Gaining an understanding of this text will unfold a rich layer of context for the reading of Psalm 84. We need to understand a couple things. There were some ringleaders in Numbers 16. Ringleaders of a complaint against Moses and Aaron. We see Korah, Dathan, Abiram, and On. We see also 250 leaders in the congregation. These men of renown. This is not a small group issuing a complaint. And 16 verse 3 says, They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy. Every one of them. And the Lord is among them. 
Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Moses hears this, falls on his face. And he says, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is His and who is holy. Take censers. Put fire in them. Put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And the man whom the Lord chooses is the Holy One. Now there are some factors at work here in the text. First of all, we need to understand, if you read the book of Numbers, you realize by the time you get to chapter 16, there has already been complaining in the camp of Israel. This is not a new thing. This has been happening. Number 16 is yet another account of grumbling against their leadership. And as we'll see, their grumbling against Moses and Aaron is truly grumbling against the Lord God Almighty. Second factor at work, the people of Israel are currently walking out a 40-year death sentence. What we've come to know as the wilderness wanderings. We saw that take place and issued out in Numbers chapter 14. Third thing for us to consider, Korah is a cousin of Moses and Aaron. Okay? A little family line here. A little genealogy to consider. Korah's father is Izhar. Moses and Aaron's father is Amram. So Izhar and Amram are brothers. They're sons of Kohath. They're grandsons of Levi. Cousins. Could there perhaps be some jealousy at work here? Also consider Dathan and Abiram, these sons of Eliab. Dathan and Abiram are the great-grandsons of Reuben. Reuben, that firstborn. Got to thinking about the other possibility there of some jealousy. We come from Reuben, firstborn. We deserve a place of position. We deserve... And you can, on and on, you could kind of speculate what this might look like. Why Levi and not Reuben? You know, when you study this out and you look at this a bit, you know, you, you look to, I was looking at Genesis 49, I was looking at the blessing of Jacob. In Genesis 49, 3 and 4, Jacob says, Unstable as water, you shall not excel, speaking about Reuben. And we find out why. Reuben was not going to excel because he slept with his father's concubine. And so you start piecing, you start looking at all these things, and you start seeing the cast of characters, if you will, that are involved in this, and what could potentially be happening here in the midst of this grumbling and complaining, and looking at why they're grumbling and why they're complaining. These 250 men are not just your average people amidst the congregation. These were leaders in the congregation. The scripture says they were men of renown. They gathered together with Dathan, with Abiram, with Korah. And they came against Moses and Aaron with the charge that they were exalting themselves above the rest of the people. And they said, all the congregation is holy. The Lord is among all of us. Another factor at work here we need to understand is that the Lord has assigned responsibilities to the Levites to tend to the things of the tabernacle, to serve Aaron and the priests. So when we look at this text and you look at and you pick it back up at verse 9, Moses says to Korah, Is it a small thing to you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord? There's their responsibility. Is it a small thing? And that he's brought you near to himself, you and all your brethren, the sons of Levi with you? And are you seeking the priesthood also? In other words, Korah, are you looking for something else here? Besides the very thing God has set you apart to be doing? 
Therefore you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. Skip down to 23. They've gathered together. All of them have their censers with fire and incense. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the congregation saying, Get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart now from the tents of these wicked men. Mark that verse. It's going to come back into play here later. Depart now from the tents of these wicked men. Touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sins. So they got away from around the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents with their wives, their sons, and their little children. And Moses said, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them out of my own will. If these men die naturally, like all men, or if they are visited by common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates a new thing and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them and they go down alive into the pit, then you will understand that these, these men have rejected the Lord. Now it came to pass, as he finished speaking all these words, that the ground split apart under them and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the men with Korah with all their goods. So they and all those with them went down alive into the pit. The earth closed over them, and they perished from among the assembly. And then all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, lest the earth swallow us up also. Not done yet. Verse 35, and a fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering incense. Fast forward to Numbers 26. This is the second census. By the way, one of the ideas, characteristics of the book of Numbers, it begins with a census and it ends with a census. Okay? This one here in Numbers 26. Look with me in verse 9. The sons of Eliab were Nemuel, Dathan, and Abiram. These are the Dathan and Abiram. You want to know which Dathan and Abiram I'm talking about? It's the Dathan and Abiram representatives of the congregation who, con who contended, uh, contended against Moses and Aaron in the company of Korah when they contended against the Lord. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up together with Korah when that company died, when the fire devoured 250 men. We see, we're getting a summary account here, aren't we? And they became a sign. Nevertheless, the children of Korah did not die. I love that verse. <laughs> and I, because I'm seeing things, and when you study a passage, you see things in a whole different light, don't you? These people died. Nevertheless, the sons of Korah, the children of Korah, did not die. If you continue to search the scriptures, and I encourage you to do this, you'll see a glorious picture of the sons of Korah weaved throughout the book of history in the Old Testament. The sons of Korah carried the Ark of the Covenant. They sang when Solomon's temple was completed. They tended to the care of the priesthood and that of the congregation, serving as grateful gatekeepers in the house of the Lord through the generations. But you know... Numbers 16, 26, when it says that Moses spoke to the congregation saying, Depart now from the tents of these wicked men. Touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sins. See, just as the Lord gave Moses words to speak to the congregation, I believe he gave the sons of Korah wisdom and discernment on that day. Confronted with a decision to stay with their father, who happened to be, according to Scripture, in rebellion to the Lord, or follow the voice of the Lord through Moses. These sons of Korah heeded the instruction of the Lord and praised the Lord for His mercy. 
Praise the Lord for preserving these sons. You see, having seen and heard the complaints against Moses and Aaron, having heard the words of the Lord spoken through Moses, and having seen how God showed up that day, I believe things changed drastically for the sons of Korah following the events of Numbers 16. Would you tend to agree? Perhaps they were an eyewitness to the earth opening and swallowing up their father. And how their hearts must have ached to see their own father judged on the spot for his rebellion against God. And I, and I wonder how this one experience shaped them the remainder of their days as they served faithfully in the house of the living God. It also reminds me of those those times in our life, and for many of us here, maybe we'll point back to that time, that point in time, and the Lord drew us unto Himself. It's a memorable time that we can look backward toward. But perhaps there's something else in your life that you look back and you're able to see how God showed up in this instance, how God worked in a certain way in this particular event, and because of that particular event that you were involved in, your life has been transformed. Your life has been changed. It's memorable. Turn back to Psalm 84. With all of that in Numbers 16, it's, and, and there's more there, really. <laughs> that's, that's a thumbnail of, of some of the context. So important to have that context, though, as, as you read any of their psalms, but, but maybe perhaps Psalm 84 in particular. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. If you read Psalm 84, I hope that you see something repeated. There's a reference to God that's repeated four times. O Lord God of hosts. God of hosts, that title ascribes majesty and supremacy to God. God of hosts, the Lord God of hosts. And I'm reminded about number 16 when I read Lord God of hosts. Because the sons of Korah, no doubt, were able to see the majesty, the supremacy of God work. In fact, this is not the only psalm where they use these terms. In fact, Greg read from Psalm 46, I believe it was, this morning. And in that reference, God of hosts, God of Jacob, and you see both of those in this particular psalm. I tend to believe that there were certain descriptions that came to mind from these sons of Korah as they were writing. These certain descriptions that for them magnified and put on display this God that they experienced and this God that they are now experiencing as they walk with the Lord. The sons of Korah ministered in the tabernacle of the Lord. And as the Levite, they were servants of God for the priesthood and for the congregation of Israel. They tended carefully to the things pertaining to the house of God. See, in these, in these first two verses of Psalm 84, you hear the heart cry of these sons of Korah. They, they share a love for the house of God and a love for the living God himself. Similar in some ways to Psalm 19. In Psalm 19, 
You might recall the psalmist there speaking of his love for God and his love for God's word. Okay, here in Psalm 84, you read about a love for God and a love for his house, to be in his house. You know, I wonder if their love for God's house had something to do with their position in God's house. I wonder if their status as gatekeepers in the house of God became a place of contentment for them following the scene in Numbers 16. Their father was also a Levite of the Kohathites. And yet there seemed to be a spirit of discontentment with where God had placed him to be of service in his house. According to Moses, Korah seemed to be striving for the office of priesthood as well. The sons of Korah have a heartfelt love for the dwelling place of God. Their soul longs, the text says, even faints for the courts of the Lord. Do you hear the desire being expressed to be present within God's house, even within the courts of the Lord? You see, closely tied to their longing for the house of God is a thirsting for the presence of the living God Himself. And herein, I believe, is a call to attention to each one here in Christ. Do you share a similar longing to be present in the house of the Lord today? Young men and young ladies... Is it a joy for you to be present in the house of the Lord? You know, I'm reminded of the passage that says, let no one look down on you because you're young. Set an example for the believers. I do hope that in your home, your dad and mom don't have to drag you to get you here. I do hope that your dad and mom don't have to actually physically pull you out of bed on the Lord's Day. I do hope that being here is a joy and a delight to your heart. And here's the thing not primarily because your friends are here. It's a byproduct. You have brothers and sisters here that you enjoy being around, no doubt. And that's a good thing. But your primary reason for being here is the delighting in the Lord himself and the opportunity to get to delight in the Lord together with other brothers and sisters. Can you echo those words of Psalm 122, verse 1? I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I was glad. At the end of the day, I pray that you too will be able to say, I was glad. Being in the house of the Lord today. The men and women, this is not, you're not exempt from this as well. Asking, what does, what does your own heart look like before the Lord? And ask the Lord to examine your heart in this matter. Is there a, is there a heart of joy toward coming to the house of God? Now let's be realistic. Let's, let's look at this. Let's not bypass this, sweep it under the rug. But let's put it out there. Distractions abound on Saturday, don't they? Anybody say amen to that? Okay. Distractions abound on Saturday. And this afternoon, we're going to talk a little bit more about preparation. Distractions can abound Sunday morning, too, can't they? You know, with a house full of little ones, there can be a host of distractions tearing you away from a heart set on being in the Lord's house. 
And as I was thinking about this, I think that's something, church, that, that we need to be prayerful about as a church. Let's encourage one another in this before the Lord and pray for one another that the hearts of this body would adequately prepare to enter into these gates with hearts of praise and hearts of thanksgiving, understanding that there is a battle being waged. The evil one would love nothing more than to distract you. And here's the thing. He doesn't care what the distraction is as long as it is anything other than Christ. Notice that a longing for the courts of the Lord isn't isolated in the text. The sons of Korah express a desire for the living God himself. The house of God is closely tied to the presence of God. And for the children of God, especially in the Old Testament, we read the two are, are closely, intimately linked together. Pilgrimage to the holy city was expected. The three of the annual feasts, worship took place in the holy city. His name was especially tied to a location. Praise the Lord, church. And when Christ died on the cross, He made Himself accessible to anyone who believes, wherever they may be. That's good news. The temple curtain torn too, and now you and I have gained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, right? No longer is it necessary to travel to the holy city to worship the Lord. You can cry out to the Lord in your home, in your closet, at work, before that big meeting, before the ball game, before you set out to take that final exam. You see, God made it possible to worship Him right where you are. And the words to the song speak to that very thing. Coming back to the heart of worship. It's all about you. It's all about God. And yet how many in the church today reserve Sunday morning as their time for worship. Sunday morning becomes their time of worship. How many still view going to a place, going to a building as necessary for worshiping the Lord, as sufficient for worshiping the Lord? You see, men and women, we have been given the privilege of worshiping the Lord in the context of a personal relationship with Christ. As that is being developed and nurtured and as the Spirit of God sanctifies you, then you come together as one body to worship the Lord. And you see, the priority is not, the priority is not the fellowship of the saints. It happens, no doubt, while we're together. But the priority, the longing in your heart, the desire for which you long, is it to worship, to honor, and magnify, and exalt the name of Jesus. In coming together on the first day of the week, is there a similar heartbeat to worship the Lord, to cry out to the living God together? As children of God. You know, there's something about being in the house of the Lord. You get the idea that the sons of Korah were thrilled with the idea of God's house and God's presence. And today, sadly, the house of God has become a mere option. As long as the calendar is free of other things, I'll make it. Being present in God's house no longer seems to be a priority. And yet as Christians, shouldn't there be a yearning to get together 
with other believers, to come together to worship the Lord together. We get to worship the Lord. We come together to report what great things He's done. We come together to testify of His marvelous works. We come together to pray to God earnestly for one another. We come together because Christ has brought us together as one body united by one spirit. Even the sparrow has found a home, text says, and a swallow, a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Oh, the longing expressed here is wonderful. The sparrow has found a home, and the swallow, too, has a nest for herself where she can provide care for her young, and they abide within the courts of the Lord. And, you know, you're thinking about birds, and you think about the freedom that birds have, right? They can just go, they fly wherever, and they come and go as they please, and... and and the psalmist here is describing something that I believe in his own heart he longs for, that freedom to be near the house of God. The freedom, perhaps, to train and nurture his own children within the confines of the house of God. There's a, there's a wonderful open access into the presence of the Lord. and I believe the sons of Korah long for the same unhindered access into the presence of the Lord. And Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. See, the work of the Lord in the house of the Lord was taken seriously. The Lord God provided the tribe of Levi to take care for the things in his house. I'm amazed when you read about that. And how many thousands of people God put to take care of his house. Leads me to believe he didn't take it lightly. Nor should we. See, to be continually there in the house of God, to see the altars and the showbread and the lampstand and the basin and to administer the loaves of bread to see that the light remains burning to clean to carry out the administrative duties in the house of God all of these things the Levites took care of but you know I was thinking about these things and also reminded how these things ought not to override the praise of God See, having been in, in ministry since graduating in 94, this text serves as a great reminder of working in the house of the Lord. You know, we rent this current building that we're in. But in carrying out the administrative, the day-to-day -day functions, you can, if you're not careful, allow the things of God, the things in His house, if you will, to occupy your time. And you know, I have a privilege of, of studying God's Word each week. I was just refreshed and renewed in that this week. And what a joy it is to be able to open the Word and study the Word. I praise the Lord for that opportunity. But you know, may even the, the necessary things in the house of God, may those things never distract me from the praise of God himself as I serve him. Verse 4 ends with that selah, or pause and consider these things. Remember, many of these psalms were sung, weren't they? And right here, in terms of how we break up this psalm for, for understanding and for clarity, I believe it's already broken apart for us by the Selah. <laughs> One through four, five through eight, nine through twelve. 
And right here in these first four verses, this longing and this desire to be in God's house, in the presence of the Lord. As we pause and consider the things he's spoken of, it may be good to ask a few questions and consider a few things. Perhaps even right now asking of the Lord to turn your heart toward Jesus, toward the things of God. And perhaps right here in these first four verses, a repentance of sin, crying out to God for the same kind of longing expressed by the psalmist. You know, he makes reference to my God and my King. One writer said, true subjects love the courts of their King. True subjects love the courts of their King. Delight today that you're a child of the King of Kings. You look at 5 through 8. Look how verse 5 starts. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. The heart is again being addressed here. The heart of worship is central, isn't it? Hmm? The heart of worship. Take away the heart and gathering together, whether you're gathering in the holy city or whether you're gathering in an elementary school in Pendleton, Indiana. The gathering becomes a hollow exercise. It becomes a weekly ritual. Nothing more perhaps than a Sunday fix to make sure that I made it into the Lord's house this Sunday. Listen to verses 6 and 7. They, they continue to speak to the heart of the worshiper as he makes his way to the courts of the Lord. It says, as they pass through the valley of Baca... This valley of weeping. They make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. See, en route to the house of God, the worshipers pass through this valley of Baca, this valley of weeping. And many traveled great distances, great number of miles. Not by airplane. This was a, for many an arduous journey. A difficult journey. But a blessed journey. The text says, as they pass through this valley, they make it a spring. They make it a spring. You see, you can read the text, and, and one does not need to know where the Valley of Baca is, nor does he need to know the occasion for, such, for calling it such a thing. The place evokes weeping, and yet they make it a spring. How so? Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. You see, the valley of Baca is transformed into a spring as a result of a heart set on the Lord, church. Your valley, whatever it may be for you, can be transformed as well as you cultivate a transformed heart. And we've already talked about that from Romans 12, right? How that transformation occurs through the renewing of your mind, through God's Word. That's a good place to start. For reviving the heart. The valley of Baca might be a valley of anxiety for you. The valley of Baca might be perhaps a valley of desperation, depression, a valley of uncertainty, a valley of financial loss. Fill in the blanks what kind of valley you might be traveling through right now. And now reflect for just a moment on the pilgrimage before you. Reflect just a moment on the pilgrimage before you. Peter writes these words. Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. For our citizenship is in heaven, Paul writes, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to His glorious body. That pilgrimage set before you. You know, I was reminded again in song of the lyrics, My heart can sing when I pause to remember. A heartache here is but a stepping stone. Along a trail that's winding always upward. This troubled world is not my final home. But until then... My heart will go on singing. Until then, with joy, I'll carry on. Until the day, my eyes behold the city. Until the day, God calls me home. They pass through the valley. And yet the text says they make it a spring. They make it a spring. You might also remember... When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. And though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. You see, blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. But there's more good news right here in the text. It goes on and says the rain covers it, the valley, with pools or, or blessings. You see, God himself is a means of provision as the travelers make their way to the city of God. Rain in a dry and thirsty land. Does that sound familiar? Psalm 63, verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. Right? In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. I was reminded of the pilgrimage. And yet God, in His provision, pours down rain, pours down blessing. And the psalmist here, I believe, is reminded of Lord's gracious provision along the journey. It got me to thinking, are you able to, am I able to see the provisions he's made for, for the journey. You know, you might be inclined to miss this one. Focused on what lies ahead or ensnared in the sin that so easily entangles. Perhaps you've been looking backward at the way things used to be. What about recognizing the blessings of God in your life? In what ways has he blessed you and made it possible for you to be traveling on this path to the heavenly city? How's he blessed you? They go from strength to strength. You see, as the pilgrimage is made to the holy city, the children of God stopped periodically along the way. And when they did, they oftentimes added to their traveling party. The interaction of being on the journey together became quite an additional blessing. I'll read that again. The interaction of being on the journey together became quite an additional blessing. Is it not a blessing indeed to be on this journey together? And so, brothers and sisters, every time we get together, we have opportunity to be strengthened in the Lord. Hebrews 10, in fact, says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The text says each one appears before God in Zion. The journey to Zion is about the God of Zion. <laughs> Going to Zion... It's not primarily to see other worshipers, but to worship the one who makes all things possible, 
You see, appearing before God in Zion was not intended to be a checkoff list, something I've accomplished, so now I can move on to something else. This appearing in Zion was an intimate time to worship the Lord. And all along the way, the worshipers worshiped together and enjoyed the company of one another, singing psalms, perhaps. Perhaps they sang Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, otherwise known as the Psalm of Ascents. You can almost hear the joyful sounds of the worshipers as they made their way to the holy city. But you see, arriving in Zion was immediate feasting upon the Lord and delighting in His presence. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. There are those references, again, to Lord God of hosts. O God of Jacob, this God of Jacob, this covenant God, this God who is faithful, this God who keeps his promises. Psalm 42, 4 and 5. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. And once again, as the text calls for it, the Selah, the pause and reflection, the pause and consider, is your strength in God or is it in your own flesh? Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. I was reminded of that this morning. In our own strength, we lose. We're not the right man on our side. The man of God's own choosing. Praise the Lord. God demonstrated his love for us by sending his only son. Is your heart set on meeting with God or have you become distracted lately on your journey with the Lord? And I encourage you this morning as you're pausing and considering this to put out your distractions before the Lord. Put them out. Write them down. What are they? Ask of the Lord to reveal them to you. I would venture to say you are aware of many of them. Repent of them. Ask him to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The valley of Baca. What kind of valley is that for you? And, and, and what are you doing to make it a stream? How has God been pouring out his abundant blessing on you as you make your way in this journey with him? How are others strengthening you along the journey? Are you hindering others from coming alongside you? You know, some of you make it really hard to come alongside of you. Did you know that? It's true. And I say that, church, with no one person in mind. But I say it because I believe there are sometimes we don't, we don't want anybody around us. Are you willing to let others minister to you in your journey? Are you stewarding your time in God's house by worshiping God and delighting in His presence? Or are you here and doing other things? This ought to be a joyous occasion. This time to gather with the Lord, His people, in this place. Look at the final few verses. O oh God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed. He alludes here to, to God's anointed, our, our shield, our protector. You know, may, may it be that, that your anointed here, Lord, would understand the significance of worship in your house. There seems to be a connect between nine and ten. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. Knowing what that experience is like, you get the idea that the psalmist is writing, knowing what this experience is like, Deprive me not, Lord, from the opportunity to worship you in your house. Do not take this gathering for granted. 
a day in your courts better than a thousand. Some translations say a thousand elsewhere. Some say a thousand outside. A day in your courts better than a thousand outside your courts. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Oh, and I'll tell you, this was, this was one of those, I don't know if you've ever had one of these, but you're reading the text and it's like, aha! I stopped right here. 84.10. Here's where number 16 becomes helpful, church. <laughs> Korah, Abiram, and Dathan grumbled against Moses and Aaron. They were not content tending to the house of the Lord. Standing watch as a gatekeeper was not sufficient for these men. And, and Psalm 84 verse 10 is wonderful because I see a contrast in heart attitude toward the things God has given. If God places you as a gatekeeper, as a porter in the house of the Lord, consider it great joy that He desires to use you. Stop complaining for the higher profile job. Stop with the discontented spirit. Receive, welcome what the Lord has for you. You see, the sons of Korah were faced with a critical decision. It was truly a matter for them of life and death. Side with their father who was rebelling against the Lord or carry out the marching orders of the king of kings being about his service in his house stationed wherever he desires me to be. Another rendering here in the text is standing at the threshold, at the entrance to the house of God. I would rather stand in the entryway of God's house than dwell in the tents of wickedness. You might recall back in Numbers, get away from the tents of Korah, Abiram, and Dathan, lest you be consumed in all their sin. Psalm 8410, I'll never read the same. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. And how those memories must have come back as these words are written. Verse 10 really gives us, uh, in many ways, location and vocation. Just terms to help kind of give handles the where and the what. Right? Day in your courts, where? I'd rather be a doorkeeper. Doing what? Doing what? I'd rather be a doorkeeper. And you think about the tabernacle itself, and you think about the ark and where it was situated. Right? Where was the ark? I mean, where was it? Wasn't it in the, wasn't it in the, in the center of the camp? And, and the, the, the symbolic nature of that whole, whenever they moved, whenever they pitched camp, God's presence is in the middle. It's center. And I think about that even in our own lives, those of us in Christ. Remember John's gospel? When the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt in the original language. We could just substitute a word and call it tabernacle. He tabernacled among us for a time. You see, the presence of God went with the people of God. In the Old Testament, we see how it moved from place to place. We see when Christ comes that He tabernacled with us for a time. Oh, but it's not done. Because you see, before He left in John's Gospel, He tells us that He's going to send to us another counselor, one who will abide with you and I'll put the word in there as well. One who will tabernacle with you forever in the Holy Spirit. What is it that contributes to one being content as a gatekeeper? Look at verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk 
uprightly. See, being a gatekeeper, tending to matters in God's house, God set apart a whole tribe of people to tend to His house. The Lord is a sun and shield. He's light. In Him there is no darkness. His light, His word, directs your steps. The light of the Holy Spirit within us guides you and illuminates your mind to be able to see. It allows you to be able to walk in righteousness. He is he's the, the Lord. The Lord is a shield Himself. Your protector and defender. The one who watches over the way of the righteous. He does not slumber, nor does he sleep. He goes before and comes behind. He's the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day. He's mighty in power. You see, the sons of Korah experienced the Lord's grace and the Lord's mercy. They were granted favor to continue serving the Lord in his house, even though their father turned from God in rebellion. And while we see from the scripture the testimony that not only are we saved by grace, but we also, church, need his grace this day and tomorrow and the day after that. Each day we need his grace. We see that his grace is sufficient. He will give grace to the humble, to those who draw near to him with a broken and contrite heart. Not only does he give grace for today, for our time here on earth, but he gives glory as well looking forward to the time yet to come when being in his presence is taken to a whole new level when worshiping the Lord is the very thing you're doing in his heavenly presence no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly you know when you read the text in the context it doesn't seem like a good thing that the sons of Korah lost their father And yet through that experience, I believe the hearts of these sons were turned toward the Lord. Looking back on their lives, they could remember the day when God showed himself strong in their very presence. The result was obedience toward the Lord. The result was contentment with where the Lord planted them. The result was delight in the Lord himself. See, when you walk uprightly, church, the good you have in mind may be perhaps different than the good God has in mind. We talked about this a little bit when we, when we came across Romans 8, right? Hmm? Romans 8, 28. His good may subtract some of the earthly comforts here on this earth for the sole purpose of helping you see more of himself. to cultivate a, a greater God dependency and less of a dependence on self and the things here on earth. No good thing will he withhold. That may take many forms. And as you walk uprightly, church, you can then receive all that comes into your life through the lens of God's good gifts. Look at how he concludes. The, the, o Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. The life of the sons of Korah testified to this declaration. They trusted God to help them. They followed the word of the Lord and not the rebellious ways of man. They stood alone that day. Dads, as we're training and teaching our sons in particular, but even our daughters, teaching them to stand alone. We can point to this story in Numbers 16 as an example where sons are standing alone, following the Lord, trusting in God. I want you to notice, though, that in that text in Numbers 16, Abiram and Dathan, they stood by their tents. Did you catch who was by them? Their wives and children. Their wives and children. I don't know the age of the children. 
there's something that stands out to me different about these sons of Korah. How easy it would have been for them. They saw Abiram and Dathan over there and saw their wives and saw their children. I'm going to go stand by my dad too. They don't do that. No, they stood alone on that day. And they put their faith, they put their trust in the Lord God Almighty. Oh God, you are my God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. But my soul longs and even faints for you. Here my heart is satisfied within your presence. I sing beneath the shadow of your wings. Some of you might know that song. Better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. So we, we arrive at the end of the journey. We arrive at the end of the psalm. And I put this forward, this verse forward to you once more. And they, speaking of Dathan, Abiram, Korah, the 250 men of renown in Numbers 16, and they became a sign. Nevertheless, the children of Korah did not die. In church, I put forward to you this morning to resolve by the grace of God to become a different sign for your future generations. May it be that the sign you leave for those behind you. It's not a sign pointing to what disobedience occurred in the life of their father. But the sign that you leave is a sign, a marker, if you will, of a man of God, of a woman of God, of a father and a mother who are walking steadfastly with the Lord. And have a heart set on the Lord. Have a heart set and a desire to be in the house of God. Now, being in God's house is a non-negotiable. And just put that stake in the sand, that Joshua. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, you are good. Your mercy endures forever. I'm thankful for, for what your word teaches, for how your word instructs. It's profitable for doctrine. It's profitable for rebuke. It's profitable for correction and training in righteousness that, that we might become complete, Lord. Fully equipped for every good work. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for the reminder once again of your love for your church, your love for your people. Thank you once again for the reminder of our priority. Father, may we prioritize you. And as we consider worship, may we bow our hearts before you. That worship, Lord, is so much more. It's so much more than singing a particular song. It's so much more than using a particular instrument. It's so much more than coming into a particular building. Father, we're learning lessons from your word. And your word is teaching us about what worship is about what it involves primarily. Oh, Father, I pray that we would see from the text that worship, you demand worship from the heart. 
May we not be concerned about what others think as we sing praises to your name. May we rejoice in you. May we long for you. Father, as we journey through this course that we have here and the time that you've given to us, Lord, we may be traveling through a valley of Baca right now. A valley of weeping, a valley of sorrow, a valley of, Lord, each person here has, has in mind what that valley looks like, Lord. I pray, Lord, that through transformed hearts, through a refreshing, a renewing of understanding that, that they are a new creation in Christ, that they would, Father, by your grace, by your power, make that valley today a stream. That they would rejoice. That they would be able to look and see the abundance of your provision in their life along the journey. That they would be able to see that you are a sun, you are a shield, that you give grace, that you give glory. Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your sure word. Father, may we stand upon these promises. May we stand upon these truths. And may we walk as you have called us to walk. And if necessary, Lord, I pray that we would stand alone and stand strong in the faith to which we're called. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he tabernacled here for a time. And thank you, Father, for the gift of your Holy Spirit who tabernacles within our hearts forever. What a joy it is to know that. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.